I think a lot of people have certain interests, and they're more specific interests, like maybe one person really loves baseball, one person loves the presidential libraries, one person enjoys the ridiculous off-the-being-path type things. And I think what's unusual about me is I find all of them fascinating. Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Hi, it's Kathy, and today I'm here with John Brocato, and he had the fortune, or misfortune, of growing up a Kansas City Royals fan living in St. Louis Cardinals territory. His two primary hobbies are baseball and travel, often reflected in questions when he hosts trivia nights as charity fundraisers. He's a secondary math teacher who lives in Hazelwood, Missouri. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kathy. It's good to be here. Well, I'm so glad that you came on the show. And tell me a little bit about your book, Road Trips, Routes, and Royals. I've been a lifelong baseball fan. And growing up in St. Louis before interleague play started, any time to see the Royals play always required traveling out of town. And I'd been built as a traveler growing up because I didn't have any family locally other than my parents and sisters. So my maternal grandparents were in St. Paul, Minnesota, and my paternal grandmother was in Helena, Arkansas. So any time to see family meant travel, any time to see the Royals meant travel, and I found out I really enjoyed being on the road, and so then in later years, I wanted to expand past the Midwest places I'd been a number of times, so I started scheduling trips to see the Royals playing places like Cleveland and Cincinnati, Houston, and as the years went on, I got uh, braver and braver expanding out to Toronto, New York City, Boston, and Seattle during the social media era, then I would post updates from the road, places I'd visit along the way, not just the baseball, but everything else I would see. And people always looked forward to hearing my updates. I think some people would add me as friends on Facebook just so I could read about my travels. And people said, well, why don't you share some of your experiences in a book? So I spent about a year in late 2015, early 2016, working on this, and I compiled the book, tried to put in about 40, 50 relevant pictures along the way. And so the book has been out on Amazon since July of 2016. Wow, you must have had a blast writing it, because basically it was talking about all your travels, which had to do with baseball, right? Right. I'd use the baseball as the setting. Like, the schedule would come out, and I'd see, okay, it looks like it's going to be convenient to see the Royals play in Boston, for instance. And so, like, that was my 2014 destination was Boston. And so I'd think about all the places I wanted to see in the Boston and New England area. Then I'd think about places along the way. For instance, I saw some minor league games in Rochester, New York, and Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And I thought, are there any other major cities near Boston that I've either been to and want to go back to or that i have never been to. So out of that, I had the Royal Series at Fenway Park as my focus. 
And then I tied in two nights in Montreal, where I'd been two years earlier, two nights in Quebec City, where I had never been. And then I worked back home through New York City and spent two nights, even though I'd been there the year before. But, you know, New York City is so big and so vast, you can't do everything in one trip. In fact, it'd probably take a lifetime just to do everything a person would want to see in New York City. Yeah, yeah. So now we're not going to talk about baseball per se on the show and we, but we will give you know we'll talk about the book sort of at the end so people who want to buy it can purchase it what I wanted to talk to you today about John was traveling solo because I think a lot of people are afraid to do that were, were you nervous when you first started traveling solo I think not at all because in the beginning of my solo travels I was going to places that I was at least familiar with, like Kansas City, for instance. And then I would expand it out as the years went on. Like Cleveland was the first major city that I went to by myself that I had never been to before. And from here, that's about 550 to 600 miles. And so it was a gradual expansion. The other thing is, I'll be the first to admit, I am a very hard person to travel with. Because I find so many things interesting. I'll be driving along, and I'll see a sign that says, um, World's Largest Wind Chimes, next exit. Okay, well, I'm going to get off Interstate 70 at the next exit, because I've just got to see the world's largest wind chimes. So, because of that, when I travel alone, I feel like I can set the agenda. Nobody's going to groan if I do something off the beam path, or take a long day or don't get to the hotel until 8.30 p.m. at night. When I plan trips, usually the only things that have set times are baseball games and church services and everything else. I try to give myself as much flexibility as I possibly can. So you're an explorer, kind of. Absolutely. Have you ever tried to travel in a group or with other people? I've traveled with family members, but... And... I've done one-day trips with different people, mainly to Kansas City. I've gone to, I've taken people to Royals games that maybe haven't been to Kauffman Stadium before. But as far as like overnight trips and groups, I have not done that outside of family members. So there might be a group of people, kind of like you, that just like to go off the beaten path. You 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 don't know that, right? Absolutely. <laughs> You'd be amazed, especially in today's day and age with social media, how many like-minded individuals you can find. Well, the thing I find, I love looking at other people's vacation pictures when they put them up on Facebook, because I end up getting ideas for my travels. I think of a high school graduation party I went to a few years back, and this person who was graduating from high school had been to 49 of the 50 states, everyone except Alaska, and they had all kinds of photo albums set out, and I'm look, looking through things and thinking, oh, that looks like a fun place to visit. Or let's see, I'm going to North Carolina. Am I going to be going through Kitty Hawk, for instance? And unfortunately, I wasn't close enough to Kitty Hawk to do it on that summer's trip, but I know that is a place I want to go back to. I looked to other people for ideas. I know my sister's done some traveling with a friend of hers, and she's talked about places like the Spangler Candy Factory in Ohio, for instance. And then she gives me ideas. I give her ideas as well. That's 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 really cool that you can bounce things off a family member. 
Um, let's go back to some of the advantages. So you alluded to one advantage of traveling alone, or I don't know if you alluded to it, you actually said it. And that is you can get off the beaten path. You don't have anybody else to answer to when you go alone. What, what are some other advantages? Well, I can be loyal to certain hotel chains. And I talk in the book, I use a lot of rewards programs, which allow me to get more travel for my money uh, with being only part of one or two rewards programs that I can stay at the hotels I want to and build up my point balance. Um, IHG is my personal favorite hotel rewards program, and that's like Holiday and Holiday and Express and uh, other chains under that banner. And by being loyal to them, for instance, a few years ago I had four free nights in downtown Toronto. I've stayed in Brooklyn free. I've stayed in suburb of Vancouver, British Columbia free, I stay in Montreal free, and so on because of that loyalty. I think the spontaneity is the biggest thing. Also, you know, living in St. Louis and being a Kansas City Royals fan, for instance, I'm not around a lot of like-minded people. So finding, for instance, somebody who would want to go, say, 1,200 miles to see the Royals play in Toronto would be quite difficult. And I think a lot of people have certain interests, and they're more specific interests, like maybe one person really loves baseball, one person loves the presidential libraries, one person enjoys the ridiculous off-the-being-path type things. And I think what's unusual about me is I find all of them fascinating. And I mentioned earlier that when my grandparents were alive, they were in Minnesota and Arkansas, and it was two different means of travel because when we'd go down to Arkansas, most of the drive was on the interstate. It was mainly Interstate 55 down to Memphis. And then we did have a little two-lane road for a little bit, but it was largely quick, high-speed travel, fast travel. But my dad grew up in a small town. And then in contrast, my mom grew up in a major city, St. Paul, Minnesota. But to go there when I was growing up, Most of the drive at the time was two-lane roads that went through the small towns. So I'd get to contrast a major city like Memphis, Tennessee, with maybe some of the small Iowa towns. And I found there were things I enjoyed about both places. I enjoyed the huge, well-known attractions and well-known restaurants and shopping of a Memphis, for instance. But then one Iowa town, just to give an example, that I fell in love with, en route to St. Paul is the town of Pella, which is about 40 miles outside of Des Moines, and they are known for their Dutch heritage. I talk in the book about how they have a Dutch bakery, Yarsma Bakery, on the town square. Their visitor information center is a windmill, and they have an annual tulip time festival. Now, I've never been able to go tulip time because that's during the school year, but everything, the architecture, the decorations on the home, just shows their Dutch heritage. And other Iowa towns, you might see a Swedish heritage, a Norwegian heritage, and so on. And like I had one uh, friend of mine who played baseball at a college in a small town in Iowa said, you know, the people there are so nice. You leave your keys in the car, they'll take your car, come back and wash it for you and bring it back to you. (laughs) And that's just, you know, I, I enjoyed the contrast. I found I enjoyed both small towns and meandering on the highway 
And then sometimes when you're trying to get somewhere fast, it's nice to have a fast interstate. But I enjoy exploring major cities as well. Well, that's great. Well, so you basically, when you go out on your own, you are traveling around baseball teams, but other people who are traveling solo could pick something else. For example, I want to see all the presidential libraries or something like that. Have have you found that to be the case? Absolutely. In fact, some of the things I talk about in the book, I have a chapter called A Few of My Favorite Things, and I talk about state capitals. I'm a what you might call state capital collector as well, and I've been in, I believe, 39 state capitals. I've been to 41 states total. Uh, there are two capitals in those states I have not been to, uh, Montgomery, Alabama, and Annapolis, Maryland. Annapolis, the capital was closed for HVAC renovations when I was in Maryland in 2008. But one time I was even talking with someone, I think it was at the capital in New Jersey, and the tour guide was telling me that a lot of people who, quote, collect, unquote, state capitals are also ballpark collectors, because I'd mentioned I was on my way to New York City. I was going to see the Mets and Yankees play home games. I think the presidential libraries are another great example, and I have been to most of the presidential libraries except for two in California and then the George W. Bush Library, which has only been open a couple of years. All three of them are definitely on my bucket list, as will the Obama Library, when it's built in Chicago, and the Trump Library, which I would guess would be in New York City down the road sometime. But you know, I think all the presidential libraries are fun because they have stories to tell. And some of the presidents were very successful and had long, memorable tenures. And other presidents were in a short period of time. But you learn more about why they did some of the things they did. And even if you don't always agree with the things, you get perspectives. And the presidential libraries are good because they tell, they tell stories not just about that presidency, but about what America was like. Like, in, for instance, the JFK Library in Boston, you know, it provides a snapshot of the U.S. in the 1960s. The Eisenhower Library in Abilene, Kansas, talks about what the U.S. was like in the 1950s. And uh, you get great perspectives from those libraries. That That is uh, really amazing. And I am going to go check out some of the presidential libraries that are close to me because I'm not that far. So thanks for pointing that out. Hey, John, um, you travel on your own. How do you socialize when you're out traveling or do you just stay to yourself? Actually, when I am visiting somewhere, I do try and talk with a lot of local people. Traveling alone, I'm not very good taking selfies. For instance, I'll ask someone even to take my picture, say I'm at the Liberty Bell, for instance, or I'm at Old Faithful or in a ballpark somewhere. And you start asking conversations about, like, what are some things you recommend? One of the ball games, minor league ball games I was at was in Idaho Falls, Idaho, which is a Royals Farm affiliate. It's not a major city. It's about 80,000 people. But I said, you know, before this afternoon, I had never been in Idaho in my life. And what are some of the things you recommend? And so the people there were so nice, and they said, well, if you're driving to Boise, make sure you go to Shoshone Falls. They said it's one of the more impressive waterfalls in the western half of the United States, and they were absolutely right. And they said, oh, and of course, make sure you have some French fries. And I was so glad they had said that because I was kind of afraid to bring up potatoes, thinking 
that they would see, okay, this is someone who thinks all we are is the potato-growing state, but they are so proud of their potatoes that they wanted to make sure I had some French fries before I left Idaho. And as it turned out, the next day after that ball game, as I was driving toward Boise, there is the Idaho Potato Museum about 20 miles south of Idaho Falls and saw a sign for that, had no idea it was coming, but there was a blue logo sign on the interstate. And sure enough, get off the interstate, have a quick lunch, and visit the Idaho Potato Museum. New York, I had some of the most interesting conversations. I was watching the Royals play at Yankee Stadium. I'm really glad I got to have some of those conversations because I think a lot of people have a misperception of New York. They think New York can be arrogant and stuck up, and I did not find that to be the case. They, you know, first of all, looked at me kind of strange because I was wearing a Royals cap in Yankee Stadium, but I told them I was from Missouri, up there to see the Royals play, and once they got to know me, it was like, oh, welcome to New York, and they, you know, they they're so proud of their city, and they suggested places to go, things to do, places to eat, you know, make sure you do this. And it made New York City feel so much more accessible to me. And sometimes even the fans that are cheering for the home team, when you're cheering for the visitors, they can often be a good welcoming committee for the city. Yeah. Now, have you met the the team personally since you basically travel around um, to watch them play? Well, only about 10, 12 games a year. I don't know if that really qualifies as a <laughs> roadie. But there have been some times, if you get to the stadium early enough, you can go down to the lower deck and watch batting practice. And I have had some players sign autographs. There's actually a picture in my book from a 2011 game in Denver where Royals third baseman Mike Moustakis is signing autographs for people during batting practice, and he had just been called up from the minor leagues then. I also have a picture actually in Toronto with a pitcher who was with the Royals at the time named Bruce Chen, who was known during his time for a team for being funny and just the most delightful personality. And so I have a picture with him in the book that has Welcome to Rogers Center in the background. And in 2009, when I saw the Royals play in Houston, Actually, there were several Royals fans who were watching batting practice, and we chatted with the then manager of the Royals, Trey Hillman, and he gladly took pictures with the different people. Like, I'd take a picture of one fan with Hillman, and then somebody else would take my picture with Hillman. And So in those cases, you're sometimes getting to chat with the players, but you're also meeting other Royals fans. Yeah, so okay. So you're going to meet people that have the same interests as you do if you're going on a specific journey? If, if you're following a specific team. So, like, there are times I enjoy going to what I call neutral games where I can just go watch a baseball game not really caring who wins and enjoy because I don't have an emotional stake. I can appreciate anything that goes on. But even then, like, maybe I'm at a Pirates-Dodgers game in Pittsburgh Again, strike up conversations with the locals. I find out more about the pirates in that instance, and get you know get new perspectives. Travel has been the best way I can expand my horizons and gain new perspectives of the United States and, in some cases, Canada. What tips do you have for people who want to travel alone? I do like to plan as far as like my nights 
in advance. I, I don't like to just arrive at a city having no idea where I'm going to spend the night. So what I do is I you know, try and plan enough days. I start with maybe what my main destination is. I think about, you know, what are things I'd like to do along the way. Like when I went to Seattle, I knew I was going to want to go to Yellowstone, for instance. So I think know what you absolutely have to include on your trip first. And then I rarely drive five to 600 miles in a day. I usually try and keep my drives 300 or 400 miles. So I do have some spontaneous time. For instance, if I see something, like when I went to Yellowstone, and I tell this story in the book, I thought, you know, I'd just drive into Yellowstone, see Old Faithful, drive out of Yellowstone, and get on my way. And it was like the more I kept driving in Yellowstone, the more things I got interested in. I saw Grand Prismatic Spring and other geysers and springs. And before I knew it, it was 5 o'clock, and I was almost 300 miles from my hotel in uh, Actually, I was over 300 miles, almost 400 miles from my hotel in Laramie, Wyoming that night. So I, so I think you start with like a destination, try and allow some time for spontaneity. I use AAA books all the time. I research things online. But I think the conversations you strike up, especially you know what, like I said a few minutes ago, you know, I'll take a, I'll take the picture of you at this uh, waterfall, for instance. If can you take a picture of me? Hey, strike up conversations. You f- maybe you find out that you know you're visiting from Missouri and they're traveling from Arizona, for instance. And so I might say, okay, I've never been to Arizona. What besides like the Grand Canyon and Phoenix? Is there something you would recommend I see? And you pick up more and more ideas that even if you can't use them right away, you put them in your back of your mind. Well, that sounds good. So you're getting ideas with basically every person that you talk to of where you want to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you ever travel and there's not a baseball game to see? Oh, and that happens, too. That's why I do allow days. I don't do 20 baseball games in 20 days, for instance. If I do like a 17, 18-day trip, maybe I'm seeing 8 to 10 baseball games. No, 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 no. That's, that's not my question. Do you ever travel and there's no baseball games on the horizon? <laughs> or is it oh, okay. all about baseball? <laughs> I will tell you one of my favorite destinations I don't go there as often as I'd like is Nashville, Tennessee, because I'm very much into the country music, and I've been to the Grand Ole Opry twice. In fact, I was there when uh, Country Music Hall of Famer Bill Anderson celebrated his 50th anniversary there in 2011. So that's one of my favorite non-baseball destinations. There are some restaurants that I can't... uh, pass up like any when we visited relatives in Oklahoma a few years ago I knew we had to stop at Brahms ice cream somewhere in southwest Missouri or northeast Oklahoma (laughs) every now and then if it's a nice day in the summer I like to take a two-hour trip over to Columbia Missouri for Shakespeare's Pizza which Good Morning America uh, announced a few years ago was the best college town hangout in the United States my sister lives in Evansville Indiana and I've other than maybe a American Legion game a few years ago. I don't watch baseball. There we go explore all the good restaurants of Evansville, for instance. So basically, make sure that you taste the local flavor. Absolutely. I'll, I'll give you another good destination that's not baseball-related for me. It's about two hours from St. Louis, Springfield, Illinois. 
but as a state capital collector, obviously the capital. But then there's so many Abraham Lincoln sites that are interesting in and around Springfield as well. And they have some of the chain restaurants that we don't have in St. Louis, too. So it's like it's far enough away to have some different things from what we have, but not so far that it becomes uh, prohibitive to go there. I know what you're talking about, because I live in San Diego, and when we cross over to the Arizona, um, when we cross the Arizona border, we always head over to Cracker Barrel, because they don't have any Cracker Barrels here. So I know that's a chain, but this is something different that we don't have over, over where I live. One of the other things I do to find unusual restaurants in different cities is, besides the AAA book, I'm a member of a program called Rewards Network that I tell about in the book, and they're partnered with a number of other different travel reward programs where you sign up and you can either earn hotel points or frequent flyer miles or other incentives depending on what your preference is. And so I connect that to my IHG Rewards account. And it's a national program, so I use that to find other restaurants I'm not familiar with that might be obscure restaurants that are really good that I wouldn't know about otherwise. And then not only am I finding nice restaurants, but I'm also earning the IHG reward points when I eat there. What's the name of the national, what's that big program that you, were, that you said? It's called Rewards Network. And so can people find that at rewardsnetwork.com? Yes. And then it gives you options. Like I said, I use IHG Rewards. I think you can do Hilton Honors through there. I believe there's some rent-a-car programs to participate. I think a number of frequent flyer miles programs are in there as well. I haven't flown in over 20 years. I drive everywhere. Sometimes I tell people I'm crazy. It's probably faster now. <laughs> Maybe. Less headache. But I know sometime I'll have to get on a plane because I'd like to go to the capitals in Juneau and Honolulu, and I guess I can't drive there. But the rewards network, I like on two fronts, getting the hotel points and discovering new restaurants. Even in St. Louis, I found restaurants here that I would not have known to try otherwise. Is there a cost for that program? No, the restaurants, I think, pay a fee because it's a form of advertising for them. It builds up their brand. You sign up, you register a credit card with them, and you uh, you don't even have to tell the waiter or waitress that you're a member of the program. You just pay the bill, hand them your credit card, and then, like, for instance, I get eight, eight IHG points for every dollar, and that includes the sales tax and the tip then. You're kidding. That's awesome. I earn about 20,000 points a year for IHG rewards just through the restaurant program. Oh, my gosh. I am totally going to check that out as soon as we are done. I am not kidding. <laughs> I would assume, and I've never been to San Diego, but I would imagine there are a lot of places, and since it is a national program, one of the places I found, for instance, in Times Square was Guy Fieri's restaurant. And I, the other thing about that program, in addition to finding out about restaurants, most of the participating restaurants have their menu online. So, you know, I can look at the menu in advance and I can decide, well, you know, maybe there's nothing that really appeals or it's too pricey for me 
or it's too far away, it's not really convenient. Or if you're a Calif- if you're a Californian, if you're gluten free, sugar free, meat free, whatever free, <laughs> you can see if there's something and, uh, that you can and, eat. And some of the restaurants will say like vegetarian, for instance, and you know they'll tell you their whether it's like Chinese or barbecue or American or fusion or breakfast specific and. I don't know I've seen gluten-free specific, but I have seen vegetarian, for instance. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That is awesome. That is actually really good for the listener to check that program out. I'm a huge believer in frequent flyer points and other points, so thank you for that. Absolutely. I have done more traveling than I would be otherwise able to afford because in some years, because of earning the points through different programs and the supplemental programs like Reward Network, I've used $1,000 in free hotel rooms some years. I love that. Thank you so much. So we are coming up to the end of our time together. Tell the listener how they can reach you and where they can find your book. Okay, my book is available on Amazon.com. And my last name is spelled B-R-O-C-A-T-O. The book has been on Amazon since July. It's also on Barnes & Noble's website, uh, bn.com. You can also order directly from Outskirts Press. And certainly a library, for instance, that was looking to order 10 or more copies, they would probably want to order directly from Outskirts. And say the name of the book again so that people can find it. I think, I think it's one of those regional words. Like I always say road trips, routes, and royals. Oh, I think right. in some parts of the country they do say routes. <laughs> That's I what I say. I say routes. So. <laughs> Funny thing is, I think now looking on hindsight, maybe I would not have used the word with two different pronunciations. But I, you know, I come from a state, Missouri, that you know, we have the Missouri versus Missouri divide. Right. The book does have a Facebook page, and all they have to do is type in road trips, routes, and royals. And on the Facebook page, I post some of my travel experiences. I share more photos than I could have ever put in the book. And I try and tie in those photos thematically. For instance, in uh, February, when it was Ronald Reagan's birthday, I put a picture of his birthplace in Tampico, Illinois. And yesterday, May 8, was Harry Truman's birthday. And so I had a picture of his birthplace in Lamar, Missouri. As I've taken short trips, I've added things Along the way, for instance, I watched a former student who played baseball for a college team down in Arkansas this past spring and found an interesting diner that was purple-themed oh. in Conway, Arkansas. And so I put a picture of that diner. So I had pictures periodically, look at themes. Uh, when Mary Tyler Moore died a few months ago, mm-hmm. I had a picture of a statue from downtown Minneapolis. So I try and tie it into current events or just things that pop into my mind. We had a lot of rain in Missouri about a week and a half ago. So I put pictures of rain delays showing the tarps <laughs> in four different ballparks that I've experienced. <laughs> That's so I awesome. try and make it fun. You know, I, I encourage people to uh, contact me, interact with the website. I can also be emailed at J-O-H-N underscore B-R-O-C-A-T-O. If people have any questions about the book. At yahoo.com, right? Yes. (laughs) And the thing, Kathy, is this isn't just baseball. Baseball was kind of a, I don't know, you want to call it like a starting point. Going to the baseball parks then allowed me to see so many other things along the way. Like I write about waterfalls. I write about history museums. I write about 
what I call the food tourism, like Ben and Jerry's in Vermont or the Spangler Candy Factory in Ohio and so on. But then I do share a number of my baseball stories, too. And then toward the end of the book, I just share some miscellaneous stories that didn't really seem to fit anywhere else. I think really in the end what happened, and I, I didn't really set out to write it this way, but the way it turned out is this book becomes a celebration of America, the diversity of this country, the so many things there are to see and do. And I have a few Canadian places thrown in along the way, primarily like Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, Quebec City. So certainly anybody who has questions about cities, I would certainly encourage them to email me. They can also contact me through the book's Facebook page as well. So basically, they can buy the book, Road Trips, I'm going to say it the way I say it, Routes and Royals, or Road Trips, Routes and Royals, depending on what part of the country you're from. You can buy it online. And if you would like to interact or reach John, then you can go to the Facebook page, and I'll have a link to that on uh, the show notes for this page or for the, you know, for this interview. John, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate the time, and certainly I would encourage people, if any questions about anything, feel free to email me or reach me through the Facebook page. I love talking about travel. I love talking about the book. And maybe you guys can give me some new ideas as well. Sounds great. For the listener, we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com. Oh, wait, I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rocky Retirement Show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue for you. And that's okay. I actually don't recommend starting with episode one and working through until the most recent. That's actually not how the show was designed. Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August... Actually, August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episodes starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you've just listened to and you want to support us, you can do so in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, 
we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show and when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five-star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.